Like we said before, Pastor Ed is uh, on a little mini vacation, and uh, he is uh, well deserving of that. And we just hope that uh, uh, Diane can heal up some in the waters that they're in, and uh, that will be good for her as well. Well, just after signing the Declaration of Independence, I know Dale's going to get to it. There it is. All right. On this date, 245 years ago, Benjamin Franklin said this, we must all hang together or most assuredly we will all hang separately. Using a play on words, he in essence said that these colonists must work together, support each other, and sacrifice for each other, or each of them would be tried for treason by the occupying British army and be executed by hanging. In the place of the joy and fun of fireworks that uh, we experience, I have no doubt that there was some fear in the hearts of many colonists 245 years ago today. Fear can be both good and bad. Let's talk about the good fears first. Think about your five senses. You see a tornado coming right at you. Suddenly, fear grips your heart, and you, you grab your entire family, you race to the basement of the tornado shelter. Or if you're an Iowan, you take pictures and movies of it and post it on Facebook before you go down to the basement. But like I said, this is a message on fear, not stupidity. All right. <laughs> or your car is stalled on railroad tracks, and you hear a train whistle. So you quickly jump out of your car and watch it be made into modern art. Or you might taste something really bitter and realize it's poison, so you spit it out, not realizing it was your daughter's first attempt at baking cookies. <laughs> you wake up one morning, you smell smoke, and you know something is burning, so you try and get everyone out of the house, not realizing your wife is making breakfast. But the classic sense of fear, dealing with the sense of touch, was when as a kid, you reached in a bag and touched peeled grapes, but someone told you there were human eyeballs and you dropped the whole sack, right? That last example actually aims us towards the sixth type of fear, the fears that we think about, the things that we conjure up in our own minds. This is where we run into problems with our fears. These fears seem to come in three flavors. Things or the fear of things and situations, the fear of people, and the fear of God. Well, let's see if we can sort these out this morning. Our text is going to be Judges chapter 6 and 7. Don't panic. Don't fear. We are not going to read both chapters completely, just excerpts. It is the familiar story of Gideon and his little army of 300 who routed an entire army of 135,000 really bad guys. In the process, we will discover God's freedom from fear. When we first meet Gideon in verse 11 of chapter 6, he is threshing wheat in a wine press, fearing the Midianites. Normally, you thresh wheat on a wooden floor using animals, and that makes a lot of noise. However, using a hand flail 
on the stone floor of a wine press would be very, very quiet, in the words of Elmer Fudd, and not real effective in threshing grain, but quiet. Why is Gideon doing this? We find out in the first 10 verses of chapter 6 that the people of Midian, the Midianites, have had a little crime spree going on for the last seven years. They roll into town just before harvest. They steal all the food or burn it. They steal all your animals and anything that's not nailed down, and they take it back to Midian. There are so many of them that, in the words of Jean-Luc Picard, resistance is futile. If you get in their way, they might even rough you up or kill you. So the Israelite people literally hid in caves and in out-of-the-way places. And food was very scarce. Why did this happen? Well, the Lord makes it clear. Because the sin of Israel, not worshiping the one true God and worshiping other gods, because they did that, the Midianites were brought in. Do we as Christians ever worship other gods? Sure we do. Just look at your checkbook your day timer, your laptop, your TV, or your phone for suggestions. They're there. What happened to Israel when they did that? They were overcome with fear of what the Midianites might do and what the Midianites actually did. It was a constant fear that swept over Israel. Finally, they called out to God. Who do we call out to when we feel like that? Well, some people call out to talk radio, Fox News, politicians, doctors. I mean, who will calm our fears? Proverbs 29, 25 says this. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. And in Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. So what happens to Israel? A God shows up. <laughs> the angel of the Lord comes down to Gideon. Anytime you read the angel of the Lord, understand this is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is Christ taking on human form without being truly human yet. That comes later. Note what starts the process of being delivered from fear. In Judges 6.12, we read, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I love Gideon's response. Talk about chutzpah. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Have you ever asked questions like this? The basic question is, why is this happening? By the way, God's not put off by that. However, you may not get an answer or you may get an answer that you don't like. I have a thought for you. Why ask the question? Just seek the Lord as, as to what and how 
you should respond to whatever is going on in your life. Don't ask why. And that is what Gideon eventually does in verse 17. If it's really you, Lord, then give me a sign. You see, Gideon had a fear of believing and acting on a faulty message. That was his fear. I want to get this wrong. Any faulty messages out there today? Just about everything you hear, see, or read is often fake news. A lot of the things we fear are based on faulty messages, fake news as it were. The pandemic has been called by some the planned-demic. And as things leak out and are immediately covered up, there appears to be evidence to support some of that thinking. But people died. Yes, they did. Many of us here, myself included, have had loved ones and friends die during this pandemic and because of it. Yet fewer total people died in 2020 at the height of the pandemic than died during all of 2019. Now, there's some reasons for that. But the media kept us in a state of fear, and they are continuing to do so today. Remember what Satan does. He roars to instill fear and make us do things we wouldn't normally do and often the media is Satan's mouthpiece. In Judges 6, verse 22, we read, When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon feared he would die because no one can see the face of God and survive. Yet the angel of the Lord spared him and gave him a mission. It, he was to rid his family of the idols, the false gods that they worshipped. Gideon had to clean up his own house before God could use him. Often God asks us to do the same thing. Jesus later said, with some humor I might add, get the four by six out of your own eye before you remove the sawdust out of your friend's eye. Verse 27. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Gideon was still fearful of certain people, even his own family. But he was obedient to the Lord, and the Lord gave him courage and the strength to complete that task. In verse 36 and following, we read this. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and all on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece, and on the ground, and, and all on the ground, there was dew. Gideon did this not out of the fear of man, 
but seeing if he could trust God in this matter. Note the second time he did this, Gideon was developing a healthy fear of God. That's a good thing, by the way. Asking God not to be angry with him. Gideon knew that one test was enough, but he decided to ask God twice for a sign to make sure. I sometimes hear Christians who are fearful about a decision they need to make, and they put out fleeces before the Lord. You will notice that nowhere in the Bible does this ever happen again. This is not a prescription as to how to discern God's will. It was a grace and merciful moment that God extended to Gideon during his fearfulness of wanting to make sure he was hearing from God. It is not standard operating procedure for a believer or a follower of Christ. Obedience is always better than a wet or a dry fleece. Judges chapter 7, the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim to the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Gideon had just lost more than two-thirds of his army through fear. They were so fearful, they were trembling. Now granted, this fear was about a battle. It was about to be waged with a highly superior army. Now, how do you think that affected the remaining men in Gideon's shrinking army. That often happens to Christians in the battle that God has called us to fight. We get scared. We get fearful. And sometimes we punt. And it has a demoralizing effect on the people we leave in the lurch. The very worst thing it can do is say to unbelievers, I really don't trust the God I claim to serve. When the chips are down, I bail. Years ago, when Janice and I were in Youth for Christ, we would meet in different students' homes each week for a campus life club meeting. One particular night, I was doing a session that I called Staying in the Chair. I set a chair up against the door opening of a double French door, and I got a tough guy to sit in the chair with his head firmly against the door. I then gave a quick lecture on the laws of conservation of energy and of a pendulum. Pendulum released from one side will swing out and back, but never come back to its original starting point. I then asked, how many of you believe that? Every hand in the room went up. And sometimes, I think one night we did that, we had 75 kids there, every hand went up. Next, I took a big C-clamp and with some padding, secured it tightly to the center of the double door opening at the top. I then took a bowling ball with an eye bolt and rope mounted it and I tied it to the clamp. 
I would then pull the bowling ball out to the door opening, just touching the volunteer tough guy's nose, and I would let it slip away. I didn't push it. The ball would swing away from our volunteer to the other side, and then it would start to swing back. In all the years I did this, I never had one tough guy ever stay in the chair. They always bailed about two feet before it got to their nose. Fear often does that to us. Fear betrays what we said we believe. We say we believe in what God says, but when the chips are down, often we bail. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But we often let fear cancel the truth of Scripture. I know some of you are thinking, well, did you ride the chair? I did, every pick and time. You see, I believed in Newton. I believed in physics. And I closed my eyes and I prayed really hard. (laughs) The ball would come back, and it would get to within a half inch of your nose on the return stroke. You know, after I survived that first experience with the bowling ball on a rope, it was easier to do it again and again. Newton's law of the conservation of energy was trustworthy. I experienced it firsthand. Well, I have news for you. God brought to life both Newton and his laws of motion. And God's word to us is far more trustworthy than Sir Isaac Newton. God now tests the 10,000 men that Gideon has left. You've heard the story. Those who put their face in the water to drink, God excluded from the battle. Those who brought the water up to their mouths with their hands, God kept. Believe it or not, when Jan and I were in Israel, we got to go to that very stream, and we reenacted that. I think I was the one with my face in the water. She had her hand, you know, up that. These men were obviously alert. They knew the enemy was around. The last thing they needed to do was let their guard down, even while doing something as simple as getting a drink. Do you ever think that God sometimes tests you? It could be something as simple as getting a drink of water or even interacting with a gal at the checkout stand. God wants to know, are you alert? Are you paying attention to my truth? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? More importantly, are you doing what I'm telling you to do through my word or through that still, small voice? Most of the time, God whispers to us. But it's hard to hear whispers when you got the volume of life set at 10. Slowing down, reading and meditating on his words from Scripture are often all we need, not only to know what to do, but to put our faith in an all-powerful God who loves to absolutely destroy fear. Scripture even says in 2 Timothy, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
If God does not give us a spirit of fear, who do you think does? After Gideon has his final men chosen, all 300 of them, Gideon now has to prepare for the battle. We read later in chapter 8 that Gideon was facing an army of 135,000 men. Judges 7, verse 9. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against that camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. I have a feeling that Gideon sort of hesitated. God continues, If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pua, even take somebody with you, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. Gideon was beginning to trust the Lord, but at the same time, he had some reservations. The ratio of the Midianites and their allies to Gideon's fighting force was 450 to 1. Not the best of odds. So Gideon took his servant, and in the dead of night, they went down to the enemy camp and listened. Verse 12. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. What is so interesting about these verses is that the Midianite camp believed God more than Gideon did at the time. They knew they were going to be defeated. Do you know Satan knows that? And he believes the same thing. He knows he is going to lose. There's an old saying, you've probably heard it before. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. 1 Peter 5 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares, and my I add fears to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. You know, when lions hunt, the females will often form a pack on the opposite side of the herd animals. The male lion will work his way around and roar on the opposite side of the herd, panicking them to run headlong into the jaws of the waiting lionesses. The male lion really has nothing going for him except his roar. They're not the best of hunters. They're pretty slow. But Satan is similar. He has a good roar, but he is powerless to harm us if we don't give in to fear and panic. And don't think Satan doesn't use the media to amplify his roar. 
So turn it off. Focus on God's word and on Christian news sources. You will be amazed how your fear and panic will subside. A recent Facebook post kind of summed this up. If the devil can talk angels out of heaven, he can talk you into hell. Be careful who you listen to. The historical battle of Gideon and his 300 men defeating an army of 135,000 men has shown the power of fear in overcoming a large enemy. 300 trumpets being blown, 300 jars being shattered, 300 torches shining brightly, and a mighty shout of 300 men, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, was enough to put so much fear in the Midianite army and their allies that they started to kill each other, and then they began to run. As they ran, Gideon's 300 men cut them down, and other Israelites joined in the chase. At least 120,000 of the army were killed, and the remaining 15,000 running away were never seen or heard from again. What can we learn from this historical record? We noted that in using your five senses, fear can actually save your life. However, when you let your mind start interpreting things that you actually know nothing about, fear can paralyze you into inaction or even destructive action. To enjoy God's freedom from fear, there are a few things we need to do. First, we need to saturate our minds with God's word. Read it every day and meditate on it. That means to think about what you've read. Don't just read it. Deuteronomy 29 says, The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. God has revealed to us all we need to know through his word. We are accountable to read it, to meditate on it, and to obey it. The psalmist writes, I weep with sorrow. Maybe because you're afraid. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Second, we have to trade worry about the world, our health, COVID, and anything else you can think of for prayer. In Philippians 4, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. World needs peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
One thing we as believers sometimes do is we flip the words in that old song in our heads. Why pray when you can worry? That's not the song, by the way. It's the other way around. Satan via the media is often roaring with lies. It's time for us to pray consistently and constantly. Third and last, we need to have a proper view of death, not a fear of death. I have news for you. Very few of us are going to get out of this world alive. And the only reason I say very few is, hey, some of us might see the Lord return, and you might escape it. But very few of us, are, or none of us, are going to get out of this world alive. Hebrews 9, 27, the first part says, And just as is it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. In other words, we have an appointed time. Remember that Deuteronomy 29, 29, which we read just earlier? That the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. Your death date is one of those secrets. Not you or anybody else knows that. And that is for our good. We have that appointment on God's calendar, however. And many of us think that things or people will cause our death and we worry about it. Matthew writes, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? The answer is no. God is in control. No thing and no person can take your life if it is not your appointed time that's on God's calendar. I often see people doing really awful things. God might even call them wicked things. Just to protect themselves from death. Listen to what Solomon writes. Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. I was sharing with a friend the other day about the eternal life we have the moment we come to faith in Christ. Where we admit and repent of our sin. We believe the gospel that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead for our sins. And we commit our lives to living for him each day. Yeah, it really is as simple as ABC. When you do that, we instantly have eternal life. You don't have to wait to die to get eternal life. You do have to transition but as 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, it's boom, and you're there with him. 
And from the day you follow Christ, you have eternal life. Later in that process, the Lord himself will give us new physical bodies that will never die or experience pain or suffering or fear ever again. If you're a believer, you have that eternal life and that promise right now. There is absolutely no need to fear anything. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, you can have that fearless life right now through simple prayer. That fearless life is yours just for the asking. But it was bought at a terrible price of Jesus dying through crucifixion. That gift is not cheap, but it is free. And with it comes the freedom from fear. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this example you give us of Gideon, a poor farmer who was afraid. And Lord, you revealed yourself to him. You gave him his, your word, and then he began to act on that slowly, but as he gained confidence, Lord, he put his full faith and trust in you, and he won a mighty victory for Israel and delivered them from the Midianites. Lord, we have Midianites all around us, and we fear them. And there are things out there that we fear, and people we fear. And yet, Lord, you have promised us that you will never forsake us. You will be here. And if we will but put our faith and trust in you, saturate our minds and hearts with your word, you will deliver us from that fear. Lord, help us to do that very thing. And Lord, I pray for anyone within the hearing of my voice, if they have not made that commitment yet to Christ, that it's a simple thing of just admitting and repenting of your sin, believing what Jesus did on a cross by dying for our sins and then coming back from the dead, and then through prayer, just choosing to commit our lives to your son. And in the process, we instantly have eternal life. May that be our joy on this joyful 4th of July, that we know where we will spend eternity. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.